welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Colby, and I am here with my friend Carter, and today we're talking about Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. This is the second book review that we've done, and continuing the Cal Newport trend, and to kind of remind y'all, Colby got into a big Cal Newport stint, and that really drove a lot of our conversations for a while, and one of the books that came up was digital minimalism. So I'm excited to hear these concepts to also remind everyone our outline for the book review episodes is a little bit different than our usual. We're going to kind of give a summary of the book, a couple of key takeaways, touch on an application, and then move to kind of a a lasting quote of the week. So that's our plan for today. We'll start with the two-minute summary. Colby, tell us what is digital minimalism? Uh, Give us the elevator pitch. Yes. I'm really excited about this, man. It was, uh, all these books were great. I read digital, Deep Work, Digital Minimalism, and A World Without Email in about a month, month and a half span, and dug into his Deep Questions podcast. And I really highly recommend all of those resources. Um, but yeah, the two-minute summary. So Digital Minimalism is really a book about uh, philosophy for how we engage with technology. Digital tools promise to make us connected and fulfilled, but they're kind of making us less fulfilled and less connected somehow, and they impede our ability to do meaningful things and to build a meaningful life. And if you've read Deep Work or if you've listened to our episode about Deep Work, you know that he's talked and thought a lot about how to find meaning and to make meaningful things and to do deep work, which is work that pushes you to your cognitive limits. And digital tools, social media, um, constant email access, and the the world at our fingertips really is so empowering. And yet, if you look at the history, the factories and the manufacturers have increased their efficiency over the past hundred years insanely. I don't know what the numbers are, but you look at knowledge work. And it's increased about 2%. And he did, he looked into the studies of the difference. And that's a problem. It's like, why is it that we've gotten so much more efficient in these other places? But, you know, we can communicate to someone on the other side of the world, but we're somehow less efficient in knowledge work now, or we've barely gotten any more efficient over the past hundred years. And that's kind of what this book is about is technology, just using it mindlessly doesn't make you smarter or better or create more value, but using it efficiently and wisely in intentional ways is going to create more value. To finish the summary, digital minimalism is a philosophy on how to reduce the negative use of technology and how to increase the positive use of it to craft a more meaningful life, I think. That makes total sense. So definitely picking up on those connections with deep work, right? The idea of hey, we've got to schedule out time to work on the things that matter. Right? That's one of the kind of sticking things from that book um, to do great, you know, deep quality, meaningful work. And there's this almost bait and switch that technology gives us, right? It's promising, look, you're going to be more connected. You're going to be able to do more. You're going to be able to send stuff faster. Like, look at all these things that it can do, right? It's going to accelerate everything. Uh, there's an interesting uh, philosopher 
uh, Harmut Rosa, who talks about acceleration as like a driving force in society, which would be interesting to think about mm. that in comparison to, to Newport's take and analysis. But yeah, the technology is claiming, look, it's going to offer you this, but then it's a, the bait and switch. We end up being what scattered and feeling isolated, feeling separated, and you know, getting pulled away from that. I don't know—is it a singularity of focus or the singularity of experience of doing meaningful, deep things? It's giving us something artificial when we're looking for the real thing. Mm-hmm. How, how does that square? Are, are those kind of themes that he's trying to pick up in this book? Definitely. And you know, social media was a, a, not the only point of the book, but a really big one where I think there's a lot of issues. He's actually someone who's never created a social media account and, you know, obviously has taken a lot of flack for that, but he has still written, you know, seven books. He's had several New York Times bestselling books. He's built an audience. He's built an email newsletter. He's built a successful podcast and he's done all those things without the need for social media. And so he's kind of like a evidence of you can do this life without it and you can still use. But he's also a computer science professor and doing research at the forefront of technology to push it forward. So he's not a Luddite or someone who's trying to say technology's bad. He's saying, I, I almost talked about a metaphor earlier, but it's like you just going to the store, me going to Home Depot and buying a bunch of tools isn't going to bring more value into my life unless I have a need for the tool and a reason to use it. And yet the biggest arguments that are used for social media are things like, well, it could bring a potential connection. It could bring some kind of value. It could, you could miss out on something. It's very vague the types of arguments that are used to encourage you to use social media. And that's not how you would shop for any other kind of product. You wouldn't buy a tool at Home Depot because it's like, well, it could be valuable for you. It's it's a terrible trade-off. And yeah, yet we yeah. get on social media and we fear this like, oh, well, if I got off of it, I might miss an opportunity, a connection, a relationship. I, I might miss something. And so he's saying intentional f- intentionality and choosing tools for the right reasons might mean that you do use social media and that's great, but make it an intentional decision, not some sort of vague, I could miss something. Uh, That was a big takeaway for me. Yeah. And so this obviously has got some overlap in our conversation on episode 12, digital minimalism for creatives. I think that probably, right. A lot of that conversation, I think you might've been reading the book at the time. I think I was reading it. Yeah, either reading or just finished. Nice. So this conversation is going to dovetail with that. And so with that, knowing that, okay, that seems to be kind of, right, got the the basic summary. Um, What are some of the key takeaways? Let's get into what are the things in this book that Newport's giving us um, that we can hold on to here. Yeah. So definitely the first one, like I just said, would be choosing your tools, choosing what you use your computer for, your phone for, should be a rigorous process, not a careless one. He tells the story of a farmer who went through this whole process um, to add a new tool into his life. And he was, it was very specific. It had to do with like haymaking or something like that. And in the end, after having a tool, spending a ton of money on it, 
he realized that the upkeep and the opportunity cost of how much time and other resources were used to keep that tool made it not worth it. And so it was returned. But that, um, I might be mixing stories here, but there's this farmer who, you know, because of things like that, had a very rigorous process for how he chose what tools to bring onto his farm, right? And in the same way, we should have that intentionality with our tools and how we choose what we bring in. I think as creative people, it's like buying more tools can feel like a productive way to like get better. Like as a producer, buying more plugins, buying more uh, gear, microphones, sound packs, whatever it is, like those things can feel like this will this will be the thing that makes me better. But often you're just creating more decisions that you have to make and creating more bloat rather than getting creative with what you have. Um, it's definitely not always bad to buy new tools, but I think that that's just that intentionality was really, really stuck out to me. Nice. So be the wise farmer there. Make sure you're yes. getting, your, uh, getting the right tools. And also I think tools can become distractions and distractions seem to be a big thing that Newport's trying to get us away from like with deep work and with digital minimalism because distractions are going to facilitate and catalyze shallow work. Mm -hmm. And if the tool is just a gadget, like we even talked about like artistic tools and stuff. If it's just a gadget, that's going to lead you away from doing the work. Like you're really stunting your work. Like it's mm-hmm. it's doing the opposite effect, and I think that's the same um, kind of ironic promise of the tool. Hey, this is going to be what you need, and then it's actually having the uh, the reverse effect. Okay, nice. That's really good. Other other takeaways. You know, really big picture, the book kind of shared two different approaches to digital minimalism. Two two uh, approaches to be used together. So the first is remove and the second is add. I mean, it's really simple, right? It's remove the things that are unhelpful and add back the things that are helpful. And I think we'll talk more about this in the application, but um, there's a lot of different avenues he dives into. I'm looking at my notes here. I mean, he talks about social media a lot. He talks about the um, how to use leisure and be thoughtful about rest in your life. He talks about, um, solitude and taking long walks and, um, a lot of practical stuff too, like batching your emails. Um, so I'm trying to decide kind of what to get into, but I think for me, I will say the, the concept of, there were two concepts about batching that kind of tie into this idea of focus and not being constantly distracted or context switching. Uh, So I guess I'll talk a little bit about that. So he talks about the, specifically in the world of email, I think me and you have talked about this, but he talks about how you can batch a couple different times throughout your day, checking your email and your text messages um, or Slack or whatever instant messaging your company or school or groups that you're in work on. And set those times. Maybe it's once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once in the evening and close it down outside of that time. Like schedule your time online in those tools and then get off of them and turn off your notifications outside of that if you can and really just remove the distractions. And then um, 
the second aspect and idea of batching is office hours. So he talks about how part of the problem with this constant pinging of emails and Slack messages and texts is context switching. Like your mind just constantly going from one idea to the next. You can't get focused. You can't do deep work. You can't make valuable things. And there's, but oftentimes those things, those texts, those emails, they're not that important and they could wait another 12 or 24 hours. So he talks about this idea of, um, creating office hours for yourself where you, there's a lot of different practical ways you could do this. Like if you're an academic, you might do it one way. If you're a college student, one way you might do it differently if you're a knowledge worker, but it's really the idea of like setting up set times where you are available to have conversations about things. And just like a professor would have office hours, you make yourself available during those. The most practical personal example he gives is like conversation office hours. Like there's a uh, executive in Silicon Valley who would basically say that he's available um, at 530 every night. It happened to be when he was driving home. You know what? Actually, I might be mixing up stories. That's the problem with reading three books from the same author at the same time as then you can't remember which book comes from or what story comes from what book. Yeah, and I get that. It, they're very interconnected, right? It, it seems like all of these ideas are overlapping in very similar ways. It's about taking away the distractions. I don't know. It's like almost like a big flashing light to me. It's like you need to manage your distractions because otherwise how do you expect to get meaningful work done? There's a quote from Picasso. He says something like, without solitude, there can be no great work. Mm -hmm. We just try to spread ourselves really thin sometimes mm -hmm. where you really just have to get alone with work. And digital tools are just, they're just so invasive that it's, they can be, I think, particularly poignant distractions. And, you know, it's going to be different with whatever creative pursuit that you're working in, right? One's going to, you know, some yes. pursuits are going to be a lot more collaborative, I'd say for me in academia, this is a pretty solitary, yeah, I'm going to classes, I'm teaching, but a lot of the work's happening working alone. Like it's definitely academics have this practice of going, retreating, doing the work in, you know, by themselves. Uh, but that may look different, right? If, if you're a photographer and you're always interacting mm -hmm. with other people and traveling and going to shoots and these sort of things, like it may be a little more difficult to carve that time and so this book seems to be really connected to deep work. And I think you mentioned that there's, you know, the chronology is even kind of picking those things out. That was interesting. What did you, um, you mentioned something about how this book kind of evolved from the last one. You know, I believe he was, if I have the story correct, he wrote deep work in 2016 or it was published in 2016. And then he began working on a world without email and then paused that book because he was getting this influx of people talking about overload, burnout, digital minimalism, this idea that he was, these concepts he was writing about on his blog. And so then he went full force on writing digital minimalism and put that out next. I believe that was the story. Yeah, yeah. So I think they, they really work together. I don't know that I'm doing the best job of representing the, the unique differences of these three books, but there is a really cool evolution from one book to the next of this idea and this they're they're very interconnected and i'm i'm trying to keep the lines separated because i know we'll talk in another episode about a world without email 
But in that, he talks a lot about the same things of managing your technology and managing your work in a way that you can generate more value. Because really, it's not just about removing and don't use social media. It's about setting up your life in a way that you can write the novel you've wanted to write, make the album you always wanted to make, create that business that you're dreaming of creating. Like you can't do those things if you're distracted, if you don't have time, if if you're stuck on social media, looking at other people doing it. You know, he really is in all these books, inspiring people to push themselves to make great things by and pursue what he calls kind of the deep life, you know, this pursuit of more meaningful and thoughtful ways of living. Um, and of course that's going to look different. What from one person to the next and the goals that I pursue are not going to look the same as the goals you pursue, but there's that common thread of doing that thing that is not necessarily the easiest path, but it may still be the effortless path. Nice. Well, we've kind of talked about the big structure. We're choosing our tools rigorously. We're adding things. We're also um, subtracting things. So I think it's important to emphasize it's not a negative program, right? It's not just don't do these things. I like how you mentioned, yeah, yeah. it's about cultivating something. It's like pulling weeds so that your flowers can grow. To mm-hmm. Give it another, we're always nice. throwing out half-baked metaphors. There's another one. Uh <laughs> But yeah, it's about it's about cultivating something. So those are some big ideas. Moving on to application, just like in deep work, you've been putting the rubber to the road. Tell us a little bit about the 30-day digital detox. Yeah, if you could take one application from this book, it would be do a 30-day digital detox. And I actually have a quote here from him to summarize it real quick. That might be a good place to start. So put aside a 30-day period during which you'll take a break from optional technologies in your life. During this 30-day break, explore and rediscover activities and behaviors that you find satisfying and meaningful. And at the end of the break, reintroduce optional technologies into your life, starting from a blank slate. For each technology you reintroduce, determine what value it serves in your life and how specifically you will use it so as to maximize this value. That in a nutshell is like kind of his whole philosophy like of this deep work concept. I think he started it on his blog and he had thousands of people do it and report the results and stuff and it's become kind of something he's known for. But I've been doing it since July 4th, I think. And now we're here a little bit later. I guess almost at the point of this recording, almost two months after. And about a month and a half. And it's been really good for me. So essentially it's been like step one, choosing the things that I wanted to remove from my life and then all the optional technology. So I'm still doing some things, but even like email, which I still needed to use, I set limits on, okay, let's only check it once a week on Saturdays. And I've consistently broken that, (laughs) but I've done better than I would have before. I mean, I used to be checking emails daily, three times a day, five times a day. So even just reducing it to a couple of times a week is, has been good for me. And just, just breaking that habit of using it for entertainment. I think that's a really big idea he talks about is don't use your phone and your email and socials for entertainment, because that's when you build this really unhealthy habit with them. So, but then the second piece is like, that's the remove. But then the second piece is fill that with meaningful activities like 
replace that time that you would be on your phone with hiking, running, exercise, whatever that thing is, you know, um, that was a really big piece as well. I was going to jump in and say on the email thing, after I got rid of social media stuff, I do find myself going to my Gmail app and like just refreshing it. I'm just yes. like, is there any, is there, there's some new <laughs> <Exactly>. emails. <laughs> it's like, and it's funny because it's like a thing where, oh, like I see I've got bleep, you know, notifications about emails. I'm like, oh, I'll go delete those. You know, it's like, I'll just exactly. go ahead and clean those out. The same, it's the same dopamine hit, I think. It's like our minds don't know the difference between Instagram and Gmail. They don't. And so we're just like, oh, yeah, let me pull down on the screen. It's like the slot machine, you know, just refresh. Yeah. What am I going to get next? What's Am I going to get an important email? Something or is it going to be a junker? Yeah, exactly. And for me, I'll just go read. It's Maybe it's more valuable than socials would be for me, but it's like reading newsletters and blogs and stuff can still just be that same distracting myself, shallow work. And I'm not saying that there's never a place for that, but... I think we just pick up our phones and we just do whatever is on on the screen in front of us. You know, it's, it's so unintentional. And I have read, I will say kind of just to share my results sort of from what I've gone through so far, I haven't really reintroduced everything, but I would say, you know, checking emails, I didn't really lose anything. No crazy emails came through that I should have responded to faster. It all worked out. And I've read like five, six books the past month and a half that I've been doing this, you know, I just knocked out early on in the, when I started out and I was on a trip, I, you know, I really knocked out three or four books in a couple of weeks just because I was, anytime I was bored or didn't have anything to do, I'd grab a book and I'd just read. And so that was a big habit replacer for me. And, um, you know, I think I still use technology quite a bit every day, but I do think that just setting some limits for myself, like not watching YouTube, not watching um, shows or anything unless I'm with someone else, like having some kind of rules like that has been helpful to uh, just simplify my life a bit and keep me from going to those things for entertainment. And I'm not sure what all I'll add back. You know, like I think it would still be good for me to limit my email checking to like every Saturday or something. I, I feel like that'd probably be good for me to try to keep up. It's, it's interesting because I, I like this. We've kind of pulled in on this email as entertainment, which is kind of funny. But yeah, I think it goes back to the tool thing. It's like we're going to it and we're if we're actually, we think it's one tool, but we're treating it as as, as if it's something else. Right. Okay. Here's a tool mm. for communicating. Let's just say email, but we're treating it like we're subconsciously or maybe some sort of veiled way treating it as if it's something that's like, oh, I can fill in this spare time. And one of these quotes that you've listed is kind of significant quotes talks about the temptation to like have nothing to do after we've had like a busy morning. But when there's no like scheduled time or there's no kind of protocol of what you do with that, it often just devolves he says, uh, toward low-quality activities like mindless phone swiping and half-hearted binge-watching. And I think that's so good. Yeah. And there was an, um, I think there's an Art of Manliness article uh, from Brett McKay a while back talking about how Hemingway like planned his weekend recreation. And mm-hmm. that kind of reminded me of that, of have, like, have a protocol for those creative doing-nothing moments. I think I need that because it is funny how you're like, oh, I just got to take a break. 
But then what does the break turn into? It turns into these this kind of low yeah. value thing where then I'm just treating my email as if I don't know. I'm I'm using it in the way that the tool's not meant to be used. You know, I'm I'm trying to play golf with a baseball bat or something. Yes. What does it look like to set aside some goals? It's easy to think for me about goals in the professional space, the music space, the podcast space, whatever. But what about setting some goals for having fun, you know, for recreation, for hiking, camping, running, exercise with those, you know, I, some people maybe already like naturally do that just better than me. Cause I think it's a, something I'm not good at. I can just ignore those areas of my life of, you know, even some social aspects. Sometimes I can not be very good at like putting that same intention and drive and thoughtfulness into it. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. really love that idea that he says like, don't just remove social media. Then you're just going to, you'll replace it with email or you'll just be sitting there and you'll be bored. And that's not the point of this. The point is social media is not the most valuable way you can live your life. And it's not just about social media. I really don't want to just reduce it to that. It's like, it could be anything. It could be email. It could be Netflix. It could be YouTube. It could be Reddit. It could be, um, I don't know, just, just TV in game general on yeah. your computer or TV. Yes. TV and gaming are two other things that he typically recommended like t- pausing during a digital detox. Um, so I just think really it's like optional technologies is the whole category he talks about. And really his whole idea is about living a life with intentionality and doing things that are going to be more meaningful. And I think that's what's worth focusing on, not necessarily whether social media is good or not. You know, it's it's about intentionality. Yeah. And if you don't have that end goal, I mean, that's kind of the first step, right? If if you don't have that that end goal of meaning, or let's just say, let's bring it down smaller. If you don't have something you're working towards, mm-hmm. then the social media is not the problem there because you're not working towards anything. Like I yeah. think I think Newport's kind of paradigm is that hey here's meaningful work that you know is valuable right you mm-hmm. you recognize man this is a fulfilling you know craft that i love if we're pursuing that then technology can become hinder hindrances for pursuing it mm-hmm. and so i think you're totally right it's not it's not just like okay let's just pull everything back and then listlessly you know wander about it's like, mm-hmm. no, like understand, hey, this is something meaningful. Is there any way that technology is preventing me from realizing that? And how so? Love that. Other mm-hmm. uh, other applications or kind of summaries from your detox? You said, you you know, maybe your schedule is going to change a little bit. Anything else on that? I don't think so. I, I think it's been a great practice. I would recommend anyone who's interested in kind of hitting reset on their technology, go for it. Take 30 days, make a list of kind of rules for yourself. What do you want to pause? What do you want to keep using? And um, if you do decide to keep using something, maybe set a limit on it. Like, oh, I'm going to check my email, but I'm just going to check it twice a week instead of whenever I want. Um, And then after those 30 days, reintroduce the tools and you'll have that space to say, did I really need Instagram or did I just want it? And what's a healthy way to bring it back? Maybe I use Instagram I only follow artists that inspire me and I only watch it 
on a Friday night with a glass of wine for 30 minutes. Like that's kind of what he said in the book was like, you can bring it back, but there's a, a time and place for when you use it, a purpose for it to be inspired by artists and some rules for it so that you're not just getting sucked into a tool that was really designed to make money for other businesses. You know, it's you um, are using it with intentionality and getting real value out of it. That's the goal of the detox is to figure out the right use of technology and and just cut out the things that were unhelpful for you. That's a good word. That's my summary. Good word. Let's go to the quote of the week. Yeah. So, I mean, I wrote down a couple, honestly, but the one that I want to share, I think really just focuses on tools because we really dove into that quite a bit on this episode. Digital minimalists see new technologies as tools to be used to support things they deeply value, not as sources of value themselves. They don't accept the idea that offering some small benefit is justification for allowing an attention-gobbling service into their lives and are instead interested in applying new technology in highly selective and intentional ways that yields big wins. Just as important, they're comfortable missing out on everything else. I really like that. The first thing that kind of came to my mind is the word supplement. One of the uh, things that I talk about when we're discussing giving presentations in class uh, mm-hmm. is talking about creating presentations which supplement your presence and your message as the speaker. So we talk about PowerPoints and saying, okay, don't make the PowerPoint do the heavy lifting. Like you're, you're the orator here. You're giving a message. You've got things to say, you know, you want the focus to be drawn to you and your message. So your presentation should be supplementing it. Like it should be like, you know, um, it should be helping and augmenting. It Mm. shouldn't be doing the heavy lifting. And I think it's very similar with these tools, right? Your tools should be helping you as the, let's say musician, right? Your guitar is the tool it should be enabling you and supplementing and helping. It shouldn't be right the thing in itself. That's where I went with that, which I really like that language of, hey, what are the things that are going to help augment or supplement your pursuits that you're already going after? I love that. I think that's excellent. And when you're considering, whenever we're considering what tools do we add to our tool belt for becoming a better music producer, becoming a better writer or a better photographer, um, it's just good to ask ourselves some questions about, is this really helping me pursue my goal here of becoming a better fill in the blank? Or is it yeah, um, becoming a distraction? And yeah, I think that's just a good place to end on, honestly. Great conversation, man. I'm glad that we got this one on the record here. Again, this was our uh, book review, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Any final words? Go grab a copy of the book. You can check out more of Cal Newport stuff at calnewport.com. And also, I'd, I'd recommend checking out the Deep Questions podcast. I really enjoy it. He's got a deep dive on all these different topics we're talking about. And he'll also do questions from listeners and a couple of different kind of segments of his show. But it's really interesting. He talks about some really good stuff. And for me, it's a great show to be inspired about how to be more productive in my creative work and how to just keep pursuing that for the long term. So yeah, thanks for listening to this episode. This was really fun. 
Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.